you talk about entrepreneurship, you could ask, I don't know, 10 people in the street, what does entrepreneurship mean to you? And you'll probably get at least 10 different answers. We at Ultra Education define entrepreneurship as doing what you love and then looking to monetize that, so making money from it. Everything we do is underpinned, so our whole curriculum is underpinned by what is your passion. And then for all intents and purposes, Ben, we take that and we help them on a journey that monetizes that. Hi there. I'm Ben Morton and welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton Leadership Podcast. It's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and subject matter experts, all designed to help you be the best leader that you can possibly be. In this week's episode, we are joined by David Sobo, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Ultra Education. David has worked in leadership positions for over 12 years in the for-profit and not-for-profit sectors. He spent time in the corporate arena working for organisations such as IBM, Microsoft and SAS before transitioning to the charity sector as the Chief Operating Officer for the Adventure Learning Charity. In this week's episode, we spoke, amongst other things, about his 180-degree direction change from working in after-sales for some of the world's largest software companies to becoming the COO in a charity, taking on a totally new role in an entirely different sector. We also explored some of the biggest leadership lessons he's learned along the way and some of the best and worst leadership advice he's received. Before we get into this episode, though, I have a plea, a request for you on behalf of David and his organisation, Ultra Education. He is a few weeks into a crowdfunding project to support the amazing charity that he works for. And any donation that you can make will make a huge difference to the lives of so many young people. You will learn a lot more about the charity and his organisation in this episode and you can find the crowdfunding link in the show notes, or you can just go to www.ultra.education to learn more. But now, without any further delay, let's dive straight in to this week's episode and my conversation with David Sobo. David, a very warm welcome to the podcast. First and foremost, how are you? Do you know? I'm all right, Ben. I'm okay. It's been a it's been a hectic start to the week, but yeah, all good, all good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, the same hectic start to the week. We were just chatting before we hit record, weren't we? It's kind of that new term feeling. Yesterday, kind of my daughter was safely back at school, and as much as summer holidays are amazing, it's always lovely to get back to a bit of structure and, and routine, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 all changed, right? It's it's new schools, it's new prime minister, it's new everything. Really, you know, it's a it's a crazy time, but uh, no, it's all good. Brilliant, David. Let me start off by asking you sort of the introductory open question, if if I may, which is just can you tell us a little bit about kind of what it is you are doing at the moment and the journey that that got you there, if you don't mind? Of course, absolutely. And thanks for having me, um, by the way. I've been really appreciate the invite. Uh, so I currently sit in a role as Chief Operating Officer for an organisation called Ultra Education. Uh, and we exist with a mission to positively impact the lives of children and young people 
predominantly between the ages of around seven and 18 years old. So we seek to positively impact those um, who might otherwise suffer from disadvantage due to social background, colour of their skin, how much money they have in their pocket, so on and so forth. So that's what I do at the moment. My journey started in a totally different world, actually. I came from from corporate, so I spent uh, the majority of my professional life working in software, so in IT and in software in particular, uh, and actually in analytics, although I did have a a short stint at at Microsoft as well. In the predominantly post-sales arena, although I latterly moved to the pre-sales function, before... um, by twist of fate, I was offered an opportunity to take on a, uh, a chief operating officer role for a charity that ran outdoor adventure learning spaces in the southeast. So that was an amazing experience. I spent a couple of years there until the pandemic came along and all systems changed. We went from from four centres down to to just one, which was a bit of a shame. But obviously that meant a, a a downsizing of staff uh, and I was in the somewhat unique position of writing my own redundancy actually which was uh, which was an interesting time and then I came across the opportunity at Ultra Education they were looking for somebody to come in and, and, and I guess run their operations and in fact yesterday was my my two-year anniversary oh, congratulations actually, uh, thank you very much my two-year anniversary of, of being at Ultra Education so that's uh, kind of a very whistle-stop tour uh, of what brought me to to where I am today. Yeah, so that's quite a tack change, I guess, from being in sales after sales care in what's probably a fairly or a very commercial orientated business to leaping across into the charity or third sector. Like what what drove that for you? What what what's behind the change, or what was behind the change? It's a great question, and I, and I hope I don't say that too many times on this on this pod, actually. But it is a great question, um, and it's because it's one that I often I often reflect on myself, actually. So I really enjoyed the technical elements of the role that I was doing and the responsibilities I had in that other world, so to speak. As the organisation that I was in moved away from the things that I was most comfortable with, which was sort of long term relationship building and running teams that perform that function I became less and less uh, happy in that space as it were it, it, you know it moved from the long term to kind of short-term gains and, and as you rightly pointed out you know there was you know, there was a real emphasis on on commercial gain and on on selling basically so so I took the opportunity to, to move out of, of that role so I left that company but then I was at a bit of a crossroad as, as to what to do. The only thing that I did know was I didn't want to do that again, but I wasn't sure what I did want to do. And then I I came across an opportunity to join an organisation who was doing good on the other side, so in the third sector, as it were, but they at the time were were running these centres that provided some fantastic opportunities to build and increase confidence in children and young people, bring families together for whether it be an hour on the river at Marlow or, or, or overnight for schools and so on and so forth. And it, it seemed an incredible opportunity. I, I have to say I was somewhat nervous when I was offered the opportunity. But uh, in hindsight, it was probably one of the best professional booms I've made. It, it, it very quickly provided me with challenges every day that I hadn't necessarily come across before, actually, running the whole operation, as it were. But actually, none of them were insurmountable challenges. And I really enjoyed the fact that there was something for me to get my teeth into that, that challenged me every day, but in a good way. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've not 
look back ever since. And was that always something that you thought you might do, move into the charitable sector, or is it something you'd done in your spare time? Is this an area you had an interest, or was it a complete sort of 180, 90-degree change of direction for you? So, so for me, it was – I'd never thought about it, ever. Right. Complete and utter 180. The opportunity came about because I'd taken a team – or a couple of teams down to a particular uh, location in Marlow, actually, to do some volunteering, actually. So we would bring sort of teams together for team meetings uh, and then ended up doing a whole day of volunteering, you know, sprucing up the place, doing a bit of painting, building some flower beds, and the team really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed what it was that we were achieving in that place and the, the, the space that we were creating for other people to be able to benefit from and that sort of started to get the juices as it were flowing but even then I didn't think much about it until you know this opportunity as it were came out of almost not quite but almost nowhere and as I say I was in two minds as to whether it it was something that I should do but as I say it was a real game changer for me it showed me some of the things that I'm not so good at that I needed to improve but it also showed me that I had some fantastic strengths that I could bring to bear and uh, that would make the place a better place, (laughs) as it were. Yeah. And what would you say are some of the most significant lessons, particularly leadership lessons you've learned throughout your couple of years working as a chief operating officer? I guess it's two years of ultra education, but a couple of years previously, right? So there's one that always jumps out at me, and it was a lesson that I learned quite early on actually in my I guess what you might call my exec career my senior leadership career and it was taught to me by a by a, a peer as it were but someone who had more experience than, than I did um, and it was basically the problem isn't always somebody else and, and I guess the the hidden message in that is you know what go look in the mirror because you might be the problem and actually even though in that particular situation it probably was external. It was something that always stuck with me. And I've always, I've, I've kind of always kept it close to heart, which is with teams that I that I work or operate with is always think about what, what else can I be doing to make it better, as it were, to improve and, and so on and so forth. It's always stuck with me that. So a, a great lesson and one that I would, I would share with anybody. Yeah, it reminds me of two things, actually, when you when you say that. One is, if we go back to GCSE physics, whichever one of Newton's laws it was, right, to, yeah, every, yeah. to every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So often the way people are behaving is often in a, is a response to how we're behaving. And the other one, it's sort of the, the slightly physical cliche, and it's hard to explain this on a podcast about the video but someone said to me and it is very cheesy and cliched but it's it's true and there's value in it every time you point the finger remember there's three fingers pointing back at you so imagine like that clenched fist with one finger so so true isn't it like so often the things we can complain about the problems we can see as you quite rightly pointed out that it's not always the other person is it so I, I, i love that no but it's quite a subtle message because it's not saying the problem could actually be you it's also saying, even if it's not you, what else can you do mm, okay, yeah. to influence what's going on? So it's, so it's not just about a blame type thing. It's what, what else can we do? You know, we're leaders. You know, it's not, it's not just let's look outside. Let's, let's look internally at ourselves as well and see what we can do to affect situations. Yeah, I love, love that. And looking back on 
when you first stepped into, I guess, your two chief operating officer roles. I wonder if there's any particular advice you'd give to someone who's about to step into one of those roles. And I guess really what I'm asking here is, with the wonderful benefit of of hindsight, if you were starting another chief operating officer role now, is there anything you would do differently kind of third time around with all the experience that you've got? I think for me, I have learned a hell of a lot in the last five years or so, a hell of a lot. And, and I'm still early in my leadership journey. If I had to pick one thing, and I'm about to list three in, in typical David Sobo fashion, but if I had to pick one thing, it would, it would be you're never going to have all the answers. And that can present some challenges depending on the situation. But the key thing to always ensure is for your own benefit, you surround yourself with a network of people who you're able to speak to for advice and guidance. For the organisation, you surround yourself with people who are predominantly smarter than you, (laughs) actually. And don't be afraid of that. Always remember to keep the main thing the main thing. The idea is, why are we here? You know, I I work for an organisation at the moment and we look to make a significant impact. You know, we look to embed in young people a belief that they truly have the capacity to go beyond expectations. There's no need for egos. (laughs) You know, I'm not the be-all and end-all. And actually, if there's someone else who can do a a better job at a particular thing or, or a particular list of things, crack on. My job isn't to do everything or to be the know it all. It's to I'm accountable, if you like, for ensuring that we do the best job we can. And actually, that means putting the right pieces in the the right spaces on the chessboard to give us the best chance of success. Yeah, I love that piece. Um, the, the main thing is to keep the main main thing. I think it's a quote from this American actress or poet called Debbie Millman. The reason being, I've got I've got it on a poster, which when I'm running leadership workshops, it's often on, on the wall just to prompt some some thought from people in the room. Um, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. I think the quote is, the main thing is to always keep the main thing the main thing. It's, 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 it's brilliant. I love it. It's a great quote. And it, and it very quickly brings people back to why are we here (laughs) you know what's the north star what it is that we're trying to do because when you think about that often all the stuff you've been discussing in the last in the last half an hour or an hour it's just noise (laughs) actually it's complete noise yeah yeah and there's a lot of noise in in business and in work and in meetings right and i think that's when you're spot on a leader's ability to to cut through that noise and highlight what the main thing is and keep everyone's focus on it and do you remember the a point at which your first point there around realizing that you don't need to have all, all of the answers do you remember this sort of first point that sunk in and you realized that and the reason I asked which might buy you a bit of thinking time to to come up come up with your answer I think by the time this episode goes out, this will be episode 95. It's such a common theme amongst all the amazing people I've, I've interviewed. And I, and I love it because it really resonates with, it was one of the first bits of leadership advice I was given as a 15-year-old boy being mentored to go through the Army Selection Selection Board. But I don't think when we are in maybe more junior leadership roles, we don't quite hear that message we don't quite let it sink into sort of the the muscle memory so i'm curious at what point did you kind of get it if it so so to speak 
For me, there have been a couple of instances where it's it's come home. You know, the message has come home, and it's still it's still actually I still have these moments, even in my current role, where I think actually, you know, I remind myself I don't need to have all the answers. But you know, if I go back to the time I spent with my previous organisation, they had a specific speciality which was outdoor adventure learning, and I don't know very much about that, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. You know, I came from the corporate sector, you know, you, you, you want to understand how to, how to predict whether somebody's going to default on a loan or not, come talk to me, you know, you know, I can absolutely talk about that. You know, you want to, you want to understand whether, whether we should approve or reject a, a credit card transaction, come and talk to me. I'll tell you about that model. Poles apart. Yeah, yeah, completely. But you, you want to talk to me about how to put on a, I don't know, a, a leap of faith task where, where young people and even older people are, are climbing up Jacob's ladders and things like that and the, the health and safety of that and the safeguarding of that and all this sort of stuff, that's not my bag, <laughs> actually. I remember there was a point where I was thinking, but these people are looking at me expecting me to know. Yeah. It dawned on me that, that what they're looking for is guidance and support that will allow them to do it. They know what they're doing. They know how to do it. That's why they're there. My job is to give them the tools, both physical and, for lack of a better phrase, virtual. And by that, I mean, you know, the confidence and, you know, so on and so forth. To give them the tools. And then, and again, I'm sure this was a famous phrase that somebody somewhere smart said was, give them the tools, get out of the way. Yeah, yeah let them succeed and, and and it's it's something that has has lived with me for some time and continues to to rear its head you know in in the work that i that i do now you know we we teach entrepreneurship to young people i'm not an entrepreneur or chief executives mind you but i'm not but actually people aren't looking to me <laughs> to tell them how to teach entrepreneurship to a, an eight-year-old mm. they're looking to me for guidance as to ensure that they have what they need to do their job and that's my job yeah and soon as we're we're on that topic can you uh, I was going to ask you this later on but let's let's ask now can you give us a little insight into how ultra education does does what it does like what's the what's the service that they they offer how do they develop and support young young people Great question, Ben. That's number two. <laughs> yes, no, so thank you. So so we, as I, I think I mentioned earlier on, we, we exist with a mission to positively impact children and young people, young people, excuse me, particularly those from underrepresented communities and those for whom the existing education system, for whatever reason, does not deliver. As I say, we use entrepreneurship as a vehicle to increase confidence, to, I guess, instill a level of resilience because mm. success doesn't come overnight but above all else to embed in this cohort a belief that they have the capacity to go beyond expectations. When you talk about entrepreneurship, you could ask, I don't know, 10 people in the street, what does entrepreneurship mean to you? And you'll probably get at least 10 different answers. Yeah, for and sure. We at Ultra Education define entrepreneurship as doing what you love and then looking to monetize that, so making money from it. Right, yeah, nice. Everything we do is underpinned, so our whole curriculum is underpinned by what do you love? What is your passion? Where do you come from? What's your heritage? What are the things that really interest you as a young person? And then for all intents and purposes, Ben, we take that and we help them on a journey that monetizes that. Got you. Uh, and, and what does that look like? It's things such as research. So the power of research. So, so understanding, okay, so you've got this potential business idea 
who else has done it? Yeah. And are they successful? If they're successful, why are they successful? If they are, if they failed for whatever reason, why did they fail? So you can learn from both of those. The sales and marketing piece. So how do you how do you market? Who do you market to? Who's going to want to buy your product or service? So and how best to reach them. And then there's the profit and loss piece, which is really mm. important, even at that basic early stage of if I buy a product for five pounds, there's no point in me selling it for three pounds, you know, and, and even that basic maths leads back to the academic curriculum. And so you, you, you think you're talking to children who, for instance, may not enjoy maths at school, may not understand yeah. the point of it, but there is a really simple reason why you might want to pay attention in the maths class. So we go through a bit of profit and loss. We, we help them with some presentations. So they get to present their business idea to their peers, you know, that what, what our cousins across the water call the elevator pitch. So we help them, you know, create that. Uh, and then they have an opportunity to pitch that to, to their peers in, in a kind of a classroom setting. And then the last thing that we do is we, we try and put on what we call a youth business fair, which is an opportunity for young people to showcase their business to the paying public, as it were. And we were really fortunate in April to take our eighth annual business fair to Wembley Stadium. Oh, wow. Actually, which was an incredible opportunity for, for 96. Uh, it's about 96 young entrepreneurs to, to do exactly that in, a, in an amazing, amazing setting. Um, so, yeah, so that's what we do. We do it in schools. We do it uh, some partnerships with, with, with local councils and housing associations, and we do some stuff with, uh, uh, like, people referral units. So we, we focus on uh, our young people who perhaps... Uh, as I said earlier, the education system may not deliver, so they may be on the fringes of the criminal justice system, perhaps. So we, we do some specific work with them as well to take them on a journey that helps them to see, you know, and hopefully believe that they can be more than perhaps they, they perhaps thought they could. Yeah, and I, I love some of the stories on your website. I think you call them the, the young CEOs, right? Just scroll. It's quite addictive, actually. I had a little look on to do my research for our chat. And I found myself just scrolling through, reading loads and loads of these little little stories I can really get a sense of the impact what you do do has actually. So my daughter's just started year six, so she's 10, 11 in, in February, towards the end of year five in, in her school. And it's not an underprivileged school at, at all. And kind of, I guess she has a large degree of, of white privilege, my, my daughter. But regardless of that, in, in her school, towards the end of year five, they do something called the Fiver Challenge, where either individually or in groups, their parents, each parent gives their child five pounds of seed capital, essentially. And then they create a business, find a way to turn that fiver into as much money as, as they can. And it's all the stuff you was talking about. It teaches them at a very basic level, profit and loss and a little bit of bit of marketing. I was trying to teach my daughter about sort of buy two, get one free to encourage people to to buy. She did this thing, like guess the name of the, of the teddy bear and you get to get to win it and and it's amazing and I think her school could have like time's always the challenge right they could have done a lot more with it to get a lot more transferable learning but but it was amazing like they she spent a year looking forward to it kind of she loved doing it she learned loads of lessons and the money they raise as a class goes towards them doing a fun day out in 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 year six but it's so powerful so I can only imagine the impact it has on the young people that, that you're working with as well. Yeah, 100%. And here's the thing, Ben, is um, in April, so whilst it was Ultra Education's eighth uh, annual business fair, was my was my first. 
because of the pandemic had, had pushed things back and so on and so forth. So I'd never been to one before. And so I was kind of thrown in at the deep end because I'm now responsible for putting this this event on that was three times the size of anything we'd ever done before. But actually, as I, as I stood in the room, kind of in the middle of the day uh, at Wembley uh, on, on 30th of April, there were a couple of things that came across to me. One was obviously the sense of pride in, in my team that we managed to pull this off because uh, we're, a, we're a small organisation. But actually the, the biggest thing for me was the realisation that what we do is not just about kids because actually for every young person that there was that was exhibiting a business, they came with uncles, aunts, cousins, grandparents, and all of them were there to support one or more of their own. And the pride that you saw in the faces of all of these people just looking at one of their own who they probably had never believed it was possible that their child could be running this business. And, you know, there would be queues of people at their stall to buy their, their product and it was incredible to see it so and it was a lesson for me that what we do is not just about kids yes it's predominantly about giving them a belief that they can go further they can do more and be more than perhaps they thought they could but actually it's also about families it's also about community it takes a village to raise a child we support the village as well as the child and I think it was a it was a real seismic lesson for me to see that and to realize that with all the hard work that that the team are putting in here's the social impact and it's massive Mm. so here we go David let me help you and your colleagues to try and help more young people and the and the villages that that supports them I know you've got a crowdfunding project coming up so do you want to take uh, take a couple of minutes tell us uh, about that and kind of what you're looking for and how people might might be able to help you no I appreciate that Ben and it's it's actually a great segue actually because at at Wembley uh, at the end of April I remember sitting there kind of sort of knackered towards the end of the day thinking, oh, you know, this is the culmination of months of effort by the team. And a parent came up to me and she said, uh, are you David? Yep, I am. Uh, okay. She said, uh, I heard that uh, you're looking to run another one of these in October. Where do I sign up? <laughs> and I said, there's absolutely no chance we're going to do this in October. No way we're going to do this. You know, we need, we need six months rest <laughs> after this thing sort of thing. But it did plant a seed in my mind, which was actually, if there is, you know, such demand, you know, the, the children have enjoyed it. You know, we had we had 96 kids in the room, but we had a waiting list of people who couldn't get in right. <laughs> because wow. of space restrictions. And so I thought, well, actually, maybe there is value in us doing this again uh, and doing it sooner than perhaps I had anticipated that we'd do it. And so off the back of that, I said, OK, let's look at doing a winter youth business fair. But the one challenge we had with with April's one was we did it on a real shoestring budget. And I said, we just can't do that again. It was was very much the serene swan at the top of the lake with a lot of paddling going on underneath that you don't necessarily see. And the team did an amazing job in doing what we could with the very limited resources and funding that we had. So I said, you know what? We can do it. We can we can put this on. It will be an amazing thing for, for people to look forward to. There's a bit of a theme with Christmas coming around the corner, so it'll be a great thing for the for, for children and the young people to prepare for. But we need 160k 
to make it happen. So we haven't got to have the major stresses that we had around around doing it. So we are going to take it back to, to Wembley Stadium. We're booked in 3rd of December 2022. Please do sign up on the Eventbrite page to search for Ultra Education. But to raise the funding to run it and to run the series of, of workshops and boot camps that will prepare the kids, we need to raise, as I say, this money. So we've launched a crowdfund uh, campaign to help us get there. We've had some some great support so far. It only launched uh, Thursday, 1st of September for four weeks. And we've had great support from the likes of British Airways, um, who've given us a significant uh, amount of money from Innovate UK, from a couple of uh, software organisations that are supporting it as well. But we really do need to raise that money as, as quickly as we can so that we can we can mobilise the team to, to get cracking, particularly with the workshops and so on and so forth. And is there a minimum amount on the crowdfunding or is it every penny counts? No, so we're, we're trying to get to 160k. We are, I think, at last count, we're at about £40,000 which is amazing given it's, I think it's day, what is it, day, day five now? So we're about £40,000. So our first gate, if you like, is to get to 50K. Um, once we get there, then we'll be looking at stretch targets and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, I'd encourage anybody to take a look at our website. There's a lot of information on our website about it, how to get to the crowdfund page, how to get your child involved as well. There are still some spaces available, although they are, uh, they are uh, filling up quickly for the for the stalls. We'll have about 130 um, this year in the Bobby Moore Suite at Wembley Stadium. But yeah, get involved and please, if you can support us, please do so. If you know any organisations that uh, may have a little CSR money still available that they might be able to, to send our way, we'd really, really appreciate it. We'll, we'll share some links, but check out our website, uh, ultra.education. It's as simple as that. Pop that into your your browser and uh, you'll, you'll find out a load of information about us. Amazing. So we'll put all of those links in the show notes for people and uh, I'll, I'll kick things off with a, with a small donation from Ben Morton Leadership to help you on your way as well, David. Appreciate that. Thank you, Ben. My pleasure. David, probably a couple of quick fire-ish questions to start uh, drawing us to a close and to, to bring it back onto the topic of leadership. I wonder... What stands out for you as perhaps some of the best and worst leadership advice you've ever, ever received? <laughs> so, so, that sounds like a knowing laugh. Yeah, so I laugh because it, it's something that I, if there was a piece of advice that I was given and it's got absolutely nothing to do with my work, but it makes me laugh now. And I was actually, it's really funny because I was talking about it with somebody over the weekend, actually. So in a previous life, when I was in the corporate sector, I used to do quite a bit of traveling. Uh, quite a bit short haul traveling, particularly uh, within the UK, so up and down to Manchester and Leeds and places like that. So I did I did a significant amount of flying, but I was never a particularly confident flyer. Right. Hated turbulence, so I don't go on rides at amusement parks and stuff like that. It's not my gig. You know, I'm the I'm the guy in the ladybird as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to the big roller coaster sort of thing because I, I just don't like the whole up and downy sort of stuff. And so I'm a, I'm, I'm a fairly nervous flight you know I deal with it because you know it's not in my control so I sort of try and just deal with it as well but I remember getting on a plane heading up to I think it was Manchester and because Manchester is a very short flight you never climb particularly high before you start coming down again which which means that the the aircraft is much more susceptible to to lumps and bumps as it were and so I remember it was sort of seven o'clock in the morning at at Heathrow and I we we got on this plane and the pilot came on the leader (laughs) came on and he said uh so ladies and gentlemen um yeah there's a bit of there's a bit of weather 
out there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it could be a, a bit of a bumpy ride. So, and I quote, this is absolute verbatim, he said, so hold on to your breakfasts. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, that's the last thing I want to hear on the roller coaster up to Manchester. It's, I just don't want to hear that at all. So that, for me, you know, that that's the first thing that jumps out at me is the worst piece of advice I was given. Care, um, I guess the lesson from there as well is care, careful use of comedy as a leader, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And I've been given, you know, a small board of great pieces of advice, but the one that leaps out at me that, that I we talked about earlier on is you don't need to know all the answers, you don't even need to fix everything. Love it. Give them the tools, give them the confidence, give them the belief and the backing and get out of the way. Brilliant. And what is one item, David, that if it was lost, broken or stolen, you'd immediately find yourself going out to replace other than your mobile phone? A mobile phone, I assume, right. Probably a squash racket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, so I... I Oh, actually, I used to play a lot more squash than I do now. Uh, as you get older, you play less less squash because it's a brutal sport. But but I love the competitive nature of the sport. I love the the way that it forces me to to really push myself, and I really enjoy that aspect of it. And if I run out of squash rackets, which to be fair is highly unlikely because I've got quite a few, <laughs> but if I did, I'd be I'd be on 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 the road to go and find at least another four very very quickly. Um, yeah, that's the first thing that springs to mind. Uh, with that um, it's not a great answer i know but it, it'll have to do oh, cool. <laughs> and what is one book that's had a really significant impact upon you or a book you find yourself recommending or gifting a lot it's interesting actually so i'm a i tend to be a bit of a fictional guy so i i, I was going to say i read a lot of fiction i used to read a lot of a lot of fiction so but but kind of sort of more sort of john grisham tom clancy that that sort of stuff you know, I quite enjoy enjoy that aspect, but I, sadly, I don't get as much time much time to read these days, which is probably more about me than it is about about anything else external. But I remember reading Rio Ferdinand's book that he had written about. Uh, I think it's called Thinking Out Loud. I think it was a good while ago, and it was about him losing losing his mum. And I remember being really engrossed in his message, you know, what he was trying, I say his message, it wasn't a message, he was just talking about his experience of going through a really painful time for him and his family, and it was really well put together, and, you know, it's interesting because I, I struggled to read it, because I don't, I personally don't don't deal very well with that sort of stuff myself, actually, but I remember being quite inspired by his story and what he was sharing with, with Joe Public, as it were, and you know, I said I was never going to read it again. But actually, when I looked to uh, my side here, my bookshelf, as it were, it's the one book that pops out on me. Right. Is, is Ferdinand's Thinking Out Loud. I would, I'd recommend it, but it's a tough read at times, but it's definitely worth the read. Mm. Again, as we always do, we'll drop a link to that in the show notes for people as well. David, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a wicked conversation. I've really enjoyed learning a little bit more about what you're doing at Ultra Education, which I, I think is amazing. I wish you all the best with with the crowdfunding. 
And also thanks for sharing your leadership experiences and, and journey and those top tips for, for people maybe moving into a chief operating officer role in the future. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for having me. And uh, I hope you continue the cycling. <laughs> Hello again. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. But more than that, as I always say, I really hope you took value from it and you're able to go away and make some small changes as a result of what you heard. If you did get value from it, though, please do connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you thought. I'm really active on that platform and you can find me there as Ben Morton Leadership. That's it for now, though. That's it for this episode. I will talk to you again very soon with another amazing guest. But until then, take care and lead on.